0: don't feel like you have to be the person who comes up with all the answers because actually great chief executives they're not the innovators they might be the change makers but you know really it's about creating the conditions for the team to thrive and for the movement to thrive and i think showing a bit of humility is powerful in that space
1: Welcome to Season 2 of the Charity CEO Podcast, the podcast for charity leaders by charity leaders. This is the show that gets beneath the surface of issues, engaging in meaningful and inspirational conversations with leaders from across the sector. I'm Divya O'Connor, and each episode I will be interviewing a charity leader who will share with us their insights, knowledge, and topical expertise on challenges facing our sector in these turbulent times. This show is for everyone who cares about the important work of charities. Today, I am speaking with Angela McConville, CEO of the National Childbirth Trust, commonly known as the NCT charity. Angela describes the beating heart of NCT as building a community fabric of grassroots activities to support and provide services for expectant and new parents. Like many organisations during the pandemic, NCT had to pivot literally overnight, and embrace the power of digital to continue to deliver for its beneficiaries. We talk about some key campaigns the organization has led, including mental health support and provision for new mothers. Angela also shares personal stories, being a leader and a mother and a role model, and how being a master juggler has helped her keep it all together. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, Angela. Welcome to the show. So lovely to have you here today.
0: Good morning, Divya. It's lovely to be here with you.
1: So we are going to dive straight into our icebreaker round. Are you ready?
0: I am. Question
1: one. What was your first job?
0: Oh, my first job was working in a hotel in a seaside resort in Northern Ireland where I had actually it was quite a good preparation for life. I had to do many different roles every day. So I served breakfast, I was a chambermaid, I worked in the restaurant, I cleaned, I served in the bar, you know, work in reception, run the tills. So it was a great baptism of fire for working life. I had to be many things to many people across the week but I absolutely loved it because it was so social but everybody came in holiday season and they were happy and you felt part of their holiday especially for the people who came back season after season and there was a real community feeling amongst the people who worked in and around the resort we got to know each other and so actually it was a really happy time for me
1: oh brilliant question two what would you say is your professional superpower
0: oh I think without doubt my professional superpower is a master juggler or plate spinner So I'm a full-time mum and I'm a full-time charity chief executive. Both of those things require a lot of skillful juggling day to day. So busy life, busy diaries, busy family life. And I just have developed a great art of sort of swan-like appearance while paddling frantically under the water to keep keep everything in play. But it served me well, you know, and actually I think, again, it's one of the great joys of just being a leader of a charity you get to do many different things in any given day or week and like family life it's it's unpredictable sometimes and it requires a lot of emotional capacity as well as you know good skillful management of diaries and schedules and logistics so uh, yes i'm a master juggler i think it's my superpower
1: i can completely relate to everything you said there keeping <laughs> multiple plates spinning and being really adaptive yeah so question 3 Tell us something that you learned about yourself during lockdown.
0: Probably the thing that I've learned is that I become very at peace with being quiet and being less extrovert. So I'm an extreme extrovert and my pre-pandemic life was extremely social and busy and making lots of connections and networking and attending events and and actually, I've learned that I'm also very comfortable in a more quiet environment with my family and taking time out to be sort of present with them. So I've learned a great deal about the, the peace and the joy that comes with just having a calmer, less frenetic pace. It's Not to say that I don't miss a lot of that vibrant, and I, I look forward to that coming back, but I've also really enjoyed changing the pace, not commuting all the time, having more time really presently with my family. That's been a great, a great silver lining.
1: Yes, agree with that as well. So the next question, if you could go on holiday anywhere in the world right now without worrying about coronavirus, where would you like to go?
0: Oh, it's so easy for me because I just long to go to Paris. So when I was a student, I did a year of my university studies in Paris and I loved it. It is a place that I call home now. I know the city really well. I had a job teaching English that meant that every day I got on my bike and cycled around the city. It was the year of the World Cup, so I had to learn all sorts of back roads and routes around the city to find my families and my students. And It's a city that I love, and I really miss it. Like There are days when I get physical pangs of wanting to be in a cafe or you know going out for a steak fruit or just you know strolling along one of the lovely boulevards and so I, I have a map of Paris in my office and it's sort of a <laughs> it's an inspiring thing to look at between meetings so I do long to get on the Eurostar and just go for a lovely relaxing weekend see some art eat some nice food
1: yeah, sounds lovely. I
0: hope that won't be too far away, that that will come back.
1: I know. So our final icebreaker question. If you had the opportunity to interview anyone in the world, dead or alive, who would it be and what one question would you like to ask them?
0: Well, I have thought about this question because I did wonder if you might ask me that. Yeah, I really thought deeply about this because... And the person that I would like to, I'd very much like to meet and interview is the contemporary artist, Tracy Emin. So I'm an English graduate and I have a great passion for the arts. It's probably like the greatest passion I have outside my charity work. And Tracy Emin, I find just beguiling. And I think that she has a lot to say say about the contemporary state of what it is to be a woman in the world today. And in 2019, I went to see her exhibition at the White Cube, and it was extremely moving. Like, I actually had to step out of the gallery for a period because I found it so emotionally overwhelming. And I think that she has an incredible power to communicate about loss and grief and you know the complexity of emotions and feelings that we experience in our journey as a woman and she had you know wonderful powerful sculpture of a a pregnant woman which was called mother but she also talks or, or you know expresses you know a great deal of pain about you know baby loss grief her relationship with her own mother her struggles with her health with insomnia with aging with relationships and I think it speaks to a lot of people. I saw a lot of people really having an emotional experience that day. And I think I'd just like to talk to her about where she finds her courage to speak out and to express what are very personal and intimate and and difficult things. And I, I, I would enjoy that greatly.
1: She's a, a fascinating character. And on that topic of motherhood and babies, I think it's a brilliant segue to come on to our main discussion for this podcast. So, Angela, you are the chief executive of the NCT charity, the National Childbirth Trust. And I think if you're a parent in the UK, it's hard not to have heard of NCT and its services. And my husband and I certainly were part of an NCT antenatal group when we had our first child. So, Let's start off by talking about NCT's work. Can you tell us about your mission and your programs of work?
0: Yes, of course. Well, yes, you're right. NCT has a very proud heritage as a charity, and we are the national charity for pregnancy, birth and early parenthood. As you experienced, we have a considerable impact every year in supporting pregnant women and their partners if they have a partner prepare for birth through our antenatal education program. That's been in our DNA. That was part of our founding, if you like, energy was to bring people together to prepare for birth and to build knowledge and information and, and to support parents to make empowered decisions, both about their, their birth, but then about the choices that they may make as parents. And it also is this place in which we help parents to build the connections, the the networks, the friendships, and the and, and the contacts in their local community that proved to be so valuable in those early days. Which parents tell us are you know it's often an isolating time, it's a daunting time, you're unsure of yourself, especially if it's your first child, and just having this ready-made group of peers that you can you know reach out to you know, share experiences, ask questions, get together, have company. Those things prove to be very, very valuable. But beyond our work uh, in terms of antenatal education, we also have a very significant programme of breastfeeding and infant feeding support. So we have hundreds of breastfeeding counsellors that are trained and working all over the country, often quite quietly, and quite intimately supporting families with their feeding choices and that's not just in the early days that can be across you know the first year as people hit certain milestones in terms of how they feed their baby and the choices that they make that you know that takes a form of one-to-one work with with families and it also looks like baby cafes and and, and group feeding support and we even have courses where you can you know how, how to introduce your baby to solid food and and things like that and then the wider work that we do which is really the you know the beating heart of our charity is across all of the community work that we do so we're working across the four nations of the UK we have over 300 branches they are powered by parents for parents and they're really diverse and one of the great joys I had in my early months with NCT was just getting out on the road and visiting that activity and meeting those groups and going to bumps and babies groups and visiting a nearly new sale which is where you know parents come together and they recycle and sell baby goods and they fundraise and put that money back into more programs for their local parent activities so I mean that's a that's just wonderful that's the vibrant you know community grassroots heart of our charity and it's and it's really been very impressive in the pandemic to see that that appetite for parents to to support other parents and to work together in their community to prevent isolation that's really come to the fore and i think i was telling you when we when we spoke previously that we have used the government's exemption for charities to set up Support groups to enable our volunteers to work within their communities to set up walk and talk groups. So there was a real appetite for parents who, you know, whatever their circumstances increasingly we were getting reports of isolation mental health concerns well-being concerns and we really felt that as soon as the government would give us any framework by which we could enable parents to come together safely we wanted to do that so we tested a walk and talk groups you know a handful of them one week and i and it has just it has just really taken off which it surprised us and it's delighted us i think we have now ran something like 2,600 walks, 18,000 parents have joined us, it grows every week, Wow. 650 new volunteers registered with us, some, some in branches which had been dormant for a long time, some in parts of the country where they'd never been a branch, just really wanting to respond to that appetite for human connectivity, getting out in the fresh air, looking after your well-being, being in touch with other parents. I mean, it just, it's sort of some of the most, basic human instincts but it was just there and we were really delighted that we could you know get in behind the volunteers and enable them to do that safely and quickly.
1: Yes, let's talk a bit more about the impact that the pandemic has had on the organisation on delivery of services. I mean, talk to us about the issues that you have seen for new parents in lockdown. During the first lockdown, we heard stories about fathers not being allowed into maternity wards, for example, when their partners were having a baby. I mean, how has NCT really been able to support parents differently dealing with these sorts of issues during the pandemic?
0: So I've given you the example of how we're doing it in our in our volunteering services and in our community work, but, but actually we've been very adaptive across our services. Our antenatal education program, we pivoted it online within 72 hours because we have parents booked on courses every day across the country. So there wasn't really time to take it offline, develop a new online product, put it back online. Like we... We literally pivoted and were were notifying tomorrow's parents that they were going on to Zoom. And I think at this point in time, we've we've supported sixty thousand parents in that channel, and and it's astonishing both the response but the feedback. You know, ninety two percent of our parents are saying that it is a a good or excellent experience, and that it is what they wanted to get out of their NCT course. So I think it's really opened our eyes to the power of digital, not as a replacement for, but as part of the mix and part of the way that we want to deliver services to parents in the future. I've been absolutely just overwhelmed by the spirit of experimentation that our workforce have have shown. So, you know, I think if I'd arrived at NCT in January of last year and said. I, I want us to go digital in a big way. I'm not sure that that, that would have landed really well. But, but to just have seen our practitioner community, our breastfeeding counsellors, they just rose up. They embraced it. They started organising amongst themselves in terms of training each other and tips and exchanges and support alongside our professional like CPD support. So that was wonderful. Just their spirit of embracing what, what needed to happen to keep that contact with parents I mean you talk about our communications and our influencing and our policy work and that hasn't gone away either and NCT again has a very proud heritage in terms of like influencing public policy and practice for parents and and pregnant women And, and we have been doing that sometimes quietly in the background throughout the pandemic. You know, we have a feeding line, an infant feeding line, where people who are struggling with their feeding can contact us. We saw, you know, we saw a, a real uplift in people contacting us on the line. We saw an uplift in the complexity of the calls, the needs that families had in terms of I mean, I, I couldn't begin to describe the ways that the pandemic were impacting families. You know, you you know, I'm a mum with a new baby and my partner is a key worker and he's living on site at a hospital and I'm alone and I'm struggling to feed. And I don't know if I'm, you know, really, you know, really powerful stories of how it was impacting individuals. And again, Just having to be very adaptive, but then use that intelligence to play back into the systems, into our NHS relationships, into our relationships with royal colleges and really trying to advocate for parents. Because, of course, the NHS was under and continues to be under huge strain and there's a balance of choices in any system like that. But we wanted to make sure that what we were hearing from parents and what we knew their lived experiences were that we were advocating for that and we were sharing that. So on that issue that you said about visiting restrictions, which there certainly was a time when that was very both topical and at times controversial, what our position was like, we we work really closely with with professionals in the NHS. We didn't want a situation where we were pitting one service against the next. And so what we wanted to do was continue to make sure that parents' stories and experiences were, were visible and heard um, that we were advocating for parents and that where things were happening really well in certain parts of the country. So where we might have seen practice that was good or was creative or innovative, that we were, we were working through our partnerships to say, can we do more of this? Can we adapt this? Can technology help with this? Can collaboration help? So it's been great. We we have a small team in that space, but they are mighty and the relationships are are, are very strong. And, and I've been grateful to have you know, I've had really great access personally to very senior people within the Royal Colleges, within Public Health England. So we have been able to make sure that our practical lived experience with parents actually has a channel back into some of the, the, the policy spaces and into the considerations about how the NHS continues ad- to adapt as the pandemic evolves.
1: Let's talk more about your campaigning work then. I know mental health has really been in the public spotlight recently. I mean, just this week, we've all seen the Meghan Markle interview with Oprah, where she talks about her mental health struggles while she was pregnant. And on this topic, I know NCT research shows that only half of new mothers actually receive the mental health support and treatment that they need. So tell us about your Hidden Half campaign and what it has achieved.
0: Yes, thank you for the opportunity to talk about that. So you're right. In 2017, we did a, a piece of research which I think was quite stark in that it showed us that, you know, up to half of new mothers' mental health needs or concerns went undetected or unsupported. And enshrined in our charitable purposes at NCT is consideration not just for the physical health of mothers and new parents but also the mental health so it was there you know in our in our founding ethos from the 50s quite extraordinary isn't it that 2017 and here we had like one and two new mums tell us that this was not being properly cared for, supported. So we had a very powerful, we built an alliance, you know, across the country around this issue. And it really was a real movement. And we had great political engagement for it. And we were very purposeful in what we wanted because we wanted to invite the you know the way that that parents are supported through their GPs in those early weeks and months with a new baby we, we our, our direct ask was to instate a dedicated check for the well-being of the mother not just for the baby and that was our our campaign ask and it was a great delight to me that just newly appointed last year in February we learned that the GP contract was to be enhanced or amended to make this a universal offer for new mums and of course it's a little bittersweet because you know having just heard that this was about to be you know enshrined in the GP contract then by March we're looking into the pandemic so one year later we are actively out there again now wanting to hear from parents about you know have they been able to access their six eight week health check and we're we're just poised to commission some new research. We're going to go out to a thousand new parents and ask them what their experience was, and see, you know, is it starting to be an embedded part of the postnatal care? You know, is it patchy? Is it regional? Are there places where we need to continue to make the case for the support? And of course, that success was only in England, so we still have work to do in the other nations to continue to press for this issue. But again, I think it's surreal. The power of the movement, That's, NCT has a great history in community organizing and movement building for change. This is an issue that really brought our movement together and really inspired other people to come alongside us and to work with us because it is, as you say, such a growing, visible and it's an area that we're increasingly confident to talk about and put a spotlight on and, and press for change.
1: It's always so empowering when you can see how your campaigning work has actually translated and impacted the lived experience of the people that you're trying to help. So that's that's absolutely brilliant. So, Angela, coming on to another important and potentially hot topic of race and inclusion, Embrace UK recently published a report that looked at maternal outcomes for black, Asian, and ethnic minority women. And looking at maternal mortality rates, the report shows that BAME women are four times more likely to die during childbirth or early postnatally than Caucasian or white women. And I think it's really interesting to see that when we also look at the COVID-19 pandemic, that these communities seem to be more affected and that pandemic death rates have really shown that you're more likely to die from COVID-19 if you are of Black, Asian or ethnic minority heritage. And so coming back to maternal outcomes, the Embrace report talks about a constellation of biases that appear to be contributing factors to these outcomes. Can you explain what these are and how NCT is helping address some of these issues?
0: I mean, again, I, w- I want to say thank you for the opportunity to put a spotlight on this, because this is one of the top considerations for us as an organisation. And as you say, COVID has only further amplified the, the, the starkness, you know, just how shocking this is. The Embrace report provides an annual take or audit in terms of maternal outcomes across a range of characteristics and considerations. But the pandemic, as you say, further exposed just the inequality that exists and the numbers of BAME women, BAME pregnant women admitted to hospital with COVID is like eight times a fact. You know, that's the factor we're looking at. So it's, it's really stark. And I think that it's something where, like so many organisations, we know that we have more to do in this space. So NCT is wholly committed to diversity and inclusion and to equity. And we are really doing a lot of critical thinking about what that means in terms of our services, in terms of the way we organise, in the way that we work. We have some really excellent work happening across different communities in the UK and just in the last couple of months we secured quite material funding from the Department of Health to scale and extend a project that we've been developing in Newham over a number of years. Now Newham, I don't know if you saw the FT article this weekend about you know the COVID triangle and a real exposition of a community like that where you have just that constellation of biases exactly. Poverty, unemployment, poor housing density of housing communities families of multiple occupation you know
1: it's intergenerational households as well yes yeah,
0: intergenerational households insecure labor markets you start to layer these things on you know, the po- a population of key workers serving more affluent parts of the city living in very concentrated ways you know, there's the constellation of biases public health concerns and we have been working there for a number of years doing very and that work takes time and it's you know it's deep lot building trust building relationships building connectivity with community groups so we're really delighted now that we have secured the funding and the support to take that work further for another number of for I think for the next three years and to work in really intricate ways with the community across antenatal education breastfeeding support family link workers building really strong relationships with grassroots groups thinking about local campaign issues. So we certainly see that there's a lot more for us to do in that space, really working closely alongside community groups and learning from that and bringing that learning back into some of our more mainstream activity. But we're also active in this space in terms of our influencing and policy work. So I've recently joined the Royal College of Ops and Gynecologists Race Equality Task Force. We are supporting Birthrights, which is a campaigning organisation who are initiating an inquiry into racial justice in maternal outcomes. So some of what we're trying to do at the moment is to bring our power, if you like, and our platform as a national charity, to bear on other organisations' inquiry into this space and to stand alongside them and to say, we agree with you. This is not acceptable. These outcomes are shocking. This has to change. We stand ready to support. We want to learn. We want to really think critically about what more we can do as an organisation in terms of the inclusiveness of our practice. And so it's a It's a powerful call for us as an organization at the moment. And as we think about our focus post-pandemic, I think it will continue to be a really key focus for us.
1: It's such an incredibly important area for consideration for society more widely and certainly for policymakers as well. And. Talking more about really engaging with communities, I'd like to talk a bit about volunteering. I mean, you mentioned earlier that you had 650 new volunteers sign up, and I think NCT Correct me if I'm wrong, Angela, but you have over 6,000 volunteers. And I think we've really seen such a groundswell of volunteering during the past year, You know, whether it's buying groceries for your next door neighbour or volunteering with the NHS or your food bank and and certainly people on furlough offering their services to charities. I mean, there have been so many opportunities for people to get involved with civil society and really tackle some of these issues that we see uh, around inequality and, and other causes and concerns. What do you think the future of volunteering is going to look like from here on? Well that's
0: honestly that's such a good question Divya because we're asking exactly that question at NCT. In fact this week we've launched a program internally to invite our volunteer community to help us shape and to really have that conversation about what is the future of volunteering at NCT. What what will it look like and how can we enable that and I sit as part of a chief executives group with a range of other charities who also have huge volunteering communities within their work. And it's been it's been just again one of the silver linings of of the pandemic is to see just how what an, an intrinsic part of our civic society volunteering is, and how people want to rise up and help and often help in a very hyper-local, immediate way within their community. I think that's what's interesting, isn't it, that we don't have to conceive of volunteering as something that you sign up for and you get involved in your organising committee and you make a two-, three-year commitment. And actually, the pandemic's shown that people can do it really fractionally. They can do it an hour a week. You know, if you run a walk and talk for us, I better not say it's an hour a week because I bet for the people involved, it's hours (laughs) of planning and logistical. But, you know, it can be very immediate and it can be very family friendly. You can family volunteering is actually kind of a buzzword in in our world. And it's been something that we've always done, but it's starting to be part of that, if you like, that movement of how do you make volunteering? So getting the kids involved. The kids involved. Exactly. So I think what's incumbent upon us is to really think about what, what works for volunteers. How do they feel valued and celebrated? How do they feel like they're leading the charge rather than sort of responding to all of the directives that they might feel come from, from the head office? We want to really just empower volunteers on the ground to do what is right for the communities that they serve and, they, and, and their needs are very different. You know, when I visited projects in Peterborough, what, they, what their communities need looked very different to when I visited projects in Southampton. And those people know best. And really for us, in terms of the national office, our job is to make sure that we can help people to do it well, safely, responsibly, just give them the tools make it easy and then really value them and make them feel valued and celebrated and so we've got a big a big conversation that we've started with our volunteers to say because you know what it's been so tough for them like if you're a really vibrant volunteering community and you run nearly new sales four times a year and you do big push and you get everybody out with their buggy in the park and you've got your bumps and baby's grip once or twice a week I mean it was there was grief for those groups they weren't able to meet the thing that was keeping them all that was such an important part of their life and their community just had to go on hold so we're really reaching out to them we don't want we don't want to lose that community you know we want them to stay with us and we want to say help us think about and shape what volunteering at NCT will be when hopefully we start to emerge from the pandemic and, and how do we build on what we learned what did the walk and talks show us well actually what it showed us that some of the barriers that we used to put in place to volunteering they don't need to be there so it used to be that you had to be an NCT member to volunteer in a meaningful way with us well really No, we were able to build a movement of people to lead our walk and talk scripts, and it was really agile. It was really responsive and quick. And and I think that's showing us, like, what more can we do to just break down the barriers to volunteering and make it really accessible, really family friendly. So I feel very, I mean, you can hear I'm very excited about, about this. I really believe in the power of community organizing, getting involved in your local community. They're the people who know best. And as I say, our job is just to wrap around them the tools and the safety and the safeguarding so that they can do their great work really well.
1: You're so right, Angela. And I think particularly in the current context, as many organizations are looking to recover and come through this year, which is likely to still be a tough recessionary environment, actually tapping into the power of volunteering and the power of local communities uh, and harnessing that through delivery of services or actually furthering your mission, but really engaging volunteers with that mission is going to be key in that success going forward.
0: I think so and I think it would also be a contribution for like our for societal well-being. You know, when mm. we come out the other side of this pandemic, there's going to be a deficit, isn't there, in terms of our of our well-being. And I can see in the in the groups and in the feedback the real positive uplift of people coming together and doing simple lovely activities together, walking, talking, sharing a coffee, sharing experiences. Those things will be part of what will build the, if you like, the emotional fabric of our communities when we're on the other side of the pandemic. So I think that's something that, that I'm passionate about us continuing to put a spotlight on is that volunteering is not just about labour. It's actually about a real powerful contribution to our, to our wellbeing. It's
1: what you alluded to earlier in terms of the lockdown really just having given us the opportunity to pause, you know, take stock and reflect and and have empathy for you know our fellow human beings or neighbors and and actually have an engagement on a much more human to human level, but that is actually beneficial for everybody.
0: I agree wholeheartedly,
1: Angela, before we finish, I'd really like to chat about your personal experiences as a leader, as a mother, because I know you had both of your children whilst in a chief executive role. And there has been so much focus recently through the brilliant campaigns by Jolie Brearley from Pregnant Then Screwed on this issue of motherhood and the motherhood penalty, which I think is really important for us to look at as a society. I mean, I'm someone who believes really strongly that it should absolutely be possible to have a successful rewarding career whilst also balancing having a family and a fulfilling family life. And I'd love to know how you personally navigated some of these challenges. And do you have any tips or stories that you could share with us?
0: Well I was going to quite flippantly say that I don't require a lot of sleep, <laughs> which <laughs> which has served me well you know, four or five hours sleep has been part of the strategy. But no, I don't want to
1: well, yes, if you listen to Arianna Huffington and everybody who really proponents of sleep being really key <laughs> to productivity and well-being. Yes, well. exactly. I'm
0: not advocating for that. I mean, I've really enjoyed and admired greatly the work that Pregnant Then Screwed are doing. And, and on a campaign level at NCT, we have been getting in behind and supporting a lot of the calls. They've been just tremendous in terms of their beating the drum for the rights of women and mothers and the return to the workplace throughout the pandemic. But I also want to reflect on the fact that I feel it's a real, I do genuinely feel it's a real privilege to be able to be both a parent and to have a job that I really care about and that I'm passionate about and that does so much good in the world. And so I think, you know, I start from that. I know there's a, there's a narrative about the motherhood deficit, which I totally recognise, but I also like to think about the fact that it feels that there has been progress. I mean, my, my mother was a community organizer. She ran a playgroup in Northern Ireland for 16 years and she did it as a volunteer. And it partly pointed to the lack of childcare or any kind of like community childcare infrastructure. It was just, it was just absent. So she had to build it with other women in, in her community. You know, if I look forward a generation, well, I haven't had to do that, but that doesn't mean that it's not still a struggle at times. I think we're on a journey. I think things are improving. I think, you know, we we can't be complacent about campaigning for and saying that things can be better. I think we're at a dangerous point. I talk to my colleagues about this a lot. I mean, NCT has has a very significant female workforce. And you can tell that the pandemic has just crystallized homeworking and homeschooling And the expectations, the 11-hour day seems to be the norm. Well, we can't normalize these things. That's not a sustainable strategy, neither for family life nor for good, healthy work life. So I definitely look forward to a time when when the equilibrium starts to, in the balance of of our well-being, starts to return. But but as I say, I'm a perennial optimist. I feel joyful every day that I have the privilege of raising my kids and having really lovely experiences with them, but also being able to be motivated and a good role model for them, I hope, by doing passionate work, work that I care about, work that I I can see. I mean, one of the silver linings, I think, of the pandemic is to watch my children watching me work and to to hear this conversation that that stimulates about, oh, mummy, I heard you talking about x or y or tell me about that and so it's really I can see it stimulating a a social curiosity in them which I think is a good thing so life is busy and it's full but I think that that's how I like it so
1: yes I was just reflecting on a story where my son the other day referred to me as a charity leader and he said oh mama your job is the charity CEO podcast (laughs) (laughs) And it's this whole where they are actually watching you being in the home and, and working and actually the impact that that has on them. And I think it's very important to be a role model and for them to see us as professional women and working mothers and being able to contribute
0: to society more widely. I think that that is a great privilege that we have. And I can see that. I can see the impact of that with my children. And I think on the days when I struggle and I think, have I given them enough of myself? Have I been present enough? Have I got the balance right? I do reflect on the fact that actually, that over time, their exposure to seeing the value of good work and the value of of that search for balance. These are these are good things for kids to learn. And I I was just discussing with my colleagues the other day, each of us our observations of children being in close proximity to us as we work and what it's teaching them, the good and the bad. <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> well I think it's encouraging them to be curious as well and to to look at different opportunities and options.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's really interesting. I heard you interviewing someone else where you were saying, like, what was your childhood aspiration? And I was thinking if you asked me that, I would have probably said something quite frivolous. But if I ask my children what they're, you know, what they want to be when they grow up, I feel like they've got a real earnest sense of what they can do in the world, which is
1: True. right now my five year old son says he wants to be a youtuber and <laughs> that could be a very lucrative profession well exactly it goes.
0: there's a myriad of these like wonderful sort of career opportunities opening up for them so
1: so looking back at your own leadership journey then angela what advice would you give to yourself on day 1 of first becoming a ceo
0: i think something that it took me a while to learn was to not feel like the responsibility to have the answers sat with me and something that I practice every day. And I'm sure my team would say I fail most days is that to develop this skill of active learning at listening, active listening, because there is a sense, isn't there? We have this impression that if you're the chief executive, you have to be out front and have the answers and lead the way and lead the charge. And actually when I came into NCT, my real commitment to myself was to spend months just listening and learning about really what was the beating heart of this charity, what was there in its DNA? How would it speak to me if I just listened and I spent a number of months just going out on the road meeting the people who made up our charity, really hearing what they were passionate about and I like to chat as you can see, and I have to be quite uh, disciplined (laughs) in space but I think that would be my advice to my younger self which is you know don't feel like you have to be the person who comes up with all the answers because actually great chief executives they're not the innovators they might be the change makers but you know really it's about creating the conditions for the team to thrive and for the movement to thrive and I think showing a bit of humility is powerful in that space.
1: I absolutely agree with you as chief execs, you know, we are just one person within the organization and our role is really to create the culture and the ethos and and to have those big ideas, uh, innovations, et cetera, come to the forefront and and encourage expertise and excellence and and try and hold that big picture vision that's connected to the mission that we're all driving forward towards.
0: I think that's right. And that's the the sort of like challenge I give myself every day is like, am I harnessing the best in my people? because we've got amazing people at NCT, incredible passion. We do these monthly webinars or, or you know Zooms where we get all community get together online and the passion and the discourse, it just, I come off those calls and I'm buzzing and I think, what more can I do to help this passionate community of people do their best in the world? So that, that's the job, I think.
1: Yes, channeling that passion for good. So in closing now, Angela, do you have any final thoughts or reflections that you would like to share? I mean, what is one thing that you would like listeners to take away from this conversation?
0: A lot of us at the moment, certainly within our organisation, the thing that we are really thinking deeply about is how we look after each other, how we make sure that people stay well. I I think in our experience, this third lockdown has been the most the closest to home, the hardest hitting. It's really Mm, having an impact, really having an impact on our colleagues and on our communities. And how do we hold on to that sense of recovery and rebuilding and what will that take? And how do we get the right balance of the structural things that we need to do, but also the compassion that we need to show? And so I have very much valued some of my peers in the charity sector. I mean, I know a number of your other guests talked about this and I've felt deep camaraderie and support from other charity leaders. And one of the things that has been really interesting is to watch that in recent months, the discourse amongst charity leadership is very much in the space about well-being and inclusion and making our way through to recovery. That's where I'll be spending a lot of my time in the weeks and months ahead as we think about going into the new financial year and really thinking about are we now on the route back out of lockdown and how do we keep ensuring that our our workforce, our practitioners out in the field, our volunteers, our parents, that they have sufficient support for their well-being first and foremost. Because I think if people are well, they're going to thrive. That's where my pondering time takes me at the moment.
1: Thank you, Angela. It's been so great chatting with you today. Thank you for being a guest on the show.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Having a
1: baby is such an incredibly special time, but it can also be incredibly daunting and scary. This miraculous being, or two if you've had twins, has just arrived in your life and nothing is ever the same again. As I think back to my first year as a new mother, My NCT group was invaluable in providing support and resources and just the sheer comfort of having that shared experience and being able to share the absolute thrills and delights, as well as the real lows of parenthood, was so needed in those early days. I'm so pleased to hear that during the pandemic, the NCT charity was able to continue its important work supporting new parents, and I'm sure it will continue to do so for many generations to come. I'm so grateful to all of our followers and listeners who helped the show reach the top of the Apple Podcast rankings for the non-profit podcast category. It is such an incredible endorsement of our content and the rankings and reviews really make a difference because they enable more people to find and listen to the podcast. So if you enjoyed the show, please click the subscribe button on your podcast app and consider leaving us a five-star review. Visit our website, thecharityceo.com, for full show details, and to submit suggestions or questions for future guests. Thank you for listening.